He's got a few things he'd like to share. So this is Corbin Barber. Well, uh, first of all, thank you all for your support and your prayers. Um, I was on a team of uh, five, five students and then two leaders. And we went to Uganda, traveling the country, um, preaching the gospel. And uh, yeah, we saw about 160 salvations. Yeah. And then uh, and in one afternoon, we got to baptize 103 people. And uh, yeah. And, uh, in really cold, snake-infested water, so just your average Wednesday, I guess. Um, and at the, at the very beginning of the trip, I was reading through the book of Acts, and uh, something just kind of hit me when um, Peter and, and his buddies are out preaching the gospel. Uh, they, get, they get captured and beaten and told not to preach the gospel anymore. And uh, so they, they, uh, they leave and they start walking, going on their way, and kind of look at each other and go, we, we just suffered for the gospel. Like, God sees us worthy enough to suffer for the gospel. And then they started praising Jesus and dancing and going crazy. And I was just like, dang. I get mad when I, like, get a paper cut for Jesus, you know? Um, so, so anyway, um, I just kind of asked myself, like, how far would I go before I give up on the gospel? And I was just like, huh. So right after that, it was really weird, but like right after that, like the next day, I came down with a sinus infection. Um, and then I started getting upset stomach, as you know, Africa will do to you. Um, and then I got ringworm. And then I got, uh, I got sick of my teammates, like to the point of where I almost tried to kill them. Um, <laughs> But seriously, and um, and then I got uh, planners warts on the bottom of my feet, so I couldn't walk. And then a great idea to go get surgery in Africa to take them off. Um, so I was on crutches. Um, yeah, I was on crutches for the last two weeks of outreach, and then uh, about two weeks here. But um, one day, when 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 I was on crutches, so towards the end of the trip. We were walking up this hill to go uh, uh, preach the gospel to this lady, and uh, we get to her house, and instantly, I need to use the restroom. Like, it was bad. Um, but I was like, you know what? I'll just, like, I'll just push through it, and I'll, I'll preach the gospel to this, later, or to this lady, and then I'll go later. And so, um, I sit down, and I preach the gospel to her, and she just kind of stops, and she's like, I'd, I'd like to accept Jesus. I was like, cool. Um, so we pray for her, and then she's like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be like for real about this, and I'm going to actually be a Christian. So we were like, cool, can I use your restroom? Um, and she's like, yeah, it's around back. So I go do that, and then I, I come back, and she says, uh, you know, I look at you, and um, I see that the gospel is real to you. Like, the gospel has been preached to me many times, but... Uh, to the other people, I don't feel it's real to them, so why should it be real to me? Mm. Sorry. Um, so, 
so anyway, she said, yeah, I see it's real to you because you were on crutches and you came and you were obviously sick, like to your stomach. Um, and so I was like, yeah. Um, but she said, you know, because I see that it's real to you, I want it to be real to me too. So I'm going to accept Jesus. And so I was like, whoa, that's cool. So I started walking away and our translator said, uh, you were on crutches for a reason. There was a reason you had that surgery. And I was like, yeah, there was. Cool. Um, and one day, this is a different story, so go with me. Um, one day we're in church and we see this little girl uh, in the corner crying. And we're like, what, uh, why is she crying? And the, uh, the, the, whoever it was over all the children uh, said, oh, she has a hole in her heart. And I was like, oh, she needs Jesus. Um, and she's like, no, like a literal hole. And I was like, oh, okay, well, it's still Jesus, I guess. Um, so anyway, we, we prayed for the little girl, and nothing happened. Um, we were like, God, why didn't you heal her? Like, she's still crying and obviously in pain. Um, and we felt like God was saying, I'm going to heal her this week using you guys in a non-traditional, I guess, miraculous way. Um, so we were like, okay, sure. And... How do you walk away from that? Anyway, so put that in the back of your mind. Uh, that, that week we, we go to, um, we were going to bless the community and have a feast and kind of get to know everybody there. So we were looking for pigs that we could buy and slaughter and eat. Um, so we, we go around the community looking for a pig and uh, somebody tells us that this lady is trying to sell all of her stuff. So she has a pig so you can go buy it. We are like, okay, cool. So we go, and we ask the lady, hey, can we buy your pig? And she immediately just, like, falls to her knees and starts praising Jesus. And we're like, it's just a pig. <laughs> yeah. yeah, anyway. Um, so she, like, she stops crying, and we're like, lady, are, are you okay? Like, we just want to buy your pig. And um, she said, my daughter has a hole in her heart. <laughs> Um, yeah, my daughter has a hole in her heart. <laughs> Dang it. Huh. And, um, she, we need the money by tomorrow to, uh, get her surgery. And the only way we can do it is if... <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, the only way we can, uh... The only way we can get the surgery is if we sell everything we have. So sell our land, sell all our animals, all our food, all our clothes. Um, and we're going to be homeless just so our daughter can have some of the money for her surgery. Like, the, it wasn't going to be enough. Um, so we were like, yeah, we'll buy your pig. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, so we were like, how much more do you need? And she was like... Uh, such and such Ugandan shillings, which is actually like 30 bucks. So we were like, we can do that, yeah. Yeah, so we, we, like, we were able to pay for that little girl, little girl surgery, and uh, then we were just kind of blown away. So we asked, the, we asked the family, like, are you guys Christians? Do you go to church? And they were like, 
we've been to church one time. <laughs> and uh, ooh, hold on. Ah, okay, we've been to church one time, and the sermon was on how God provides in weird ways at the last minute. Sorry. Uh, um, so, us buying a pig, like, seemed like nothing. But to her, it was a team of Mzungus, or that's what they call white people. A team of white people who, they never see white people. Um, so it took a team of white people to come in and buy their pig so their daughter could have a full heart transplant. And, like, we were like, God cares about your heart, too. And he wants you in church on Sunday, so. <laughs> anyway, there were, we have a lot of stories. Um, and they always stick with me. But I, I just want to say thank you for all your support. And, uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Remain standing. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing. And the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you not only for your written word, but for the power of the word through the Holy Spirit in your people. And I pray, Father, that you would speak to your people today and that we would hear and obey in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, There are actually three gospel accounts of this particular incident. John records it. Matthew records it. Mark records it. Uh, All of them place it right after the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, So it's definitely the same event. They all share some key points. Uh, Only Matthew relates Peter's special role in this uh, this incident, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But first of all, um, one of the weird things about this passage to me was this. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, and they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. And if that were all we knew about it, I would think, this is really strange. I mean, what what are the disciples thinking Leaving Jesus, you know, did somebody go, hey, Jesus has gone up on the mountain. Let's go get in the boat. I got it. We're going to, we'll, 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 we'll punk him. You know, he'll, he'll come down and go, where are they? You know, but uh, that's not the way it was because Matthew and Mark both tell us that Jesus actually made the disciples get into the boat and go across the other side. He said, you guys get in the boat. I'll be, I'll be along later. So really they were in the center. They were actually doing what God had told them to do. God's the one giving orders here, and it's not just something that the disciples came up with. 
Uh, sometimes God's orders don't necessarily make a lot of sense to us because we think in the, in the natural. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Why in the world would Jesus tell us to get in the boat and go, go leave him? Yeah, that, that, that doesn't seem to be something. But uh, whenever the Spirit is saying something, then to the natural mind, they aren't, they aren't operating on the same plane. Now, this isn't just a license to go woo-woo, but it is a cold, hard fact that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. It's, that, that is simply the way that it is. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so God's ways are higher than ours, and his thoughts are, are higher than ours. And so whenever, we are, whenever we're thinking in the natural, it's very difficult for us to be completely in tune with what God's thinking. Uh, consider Noah building an ark, and I won't belabor this. I mean, most of you are, are aware of what a, what a ridiculous suggestion this was. Well, it wasn't a suggestion. What a ridiculous command this was for God to give to Noah. He's, he's landlocked. He's, he's, he's far away from any body of water. And he not only said, build a boat, how big you want this boat, God? Well, how about a, maybe 100,000 square feet? I think that, that would be able to, that'll be able to accommodate. Fine. We're a family of eight. I think eight people could maybe get along in 100,000 square feet. So, uh, Also, whenever uh, David, not building the temple. I mean, sometimes it's, not, it's what God tells us to not do, that it's kind of like, I mean, David, he was at the top of his game. He had the money. He had the desire. He was the worship king. He was the, the, uh, the great psalmist of Israel. He wanted to build a temple for the Lord, and it was such a good idea that Nathan, the prophet, and Nathan was not, you know, he was, he was not a namby-pamby guy. Nathan, Nathan had, had guts. He was the one who, who uh, um, came to David and, and called him on his sin when he sinned with Bathsheba and, uh, and, and had Uriah murdered. But Nathan, when he heard this idea, that's a great idea. Yes, sir, David, do whatever it is that God has put on your heart. Boy, a, a temple, I could get excited about that. We're going we're gonna to build something for God. And then Nathan goes home and sleeps on it, and God says, would you like to know what I think about that idea? He's not the one. Don't have him do it. Whenever uh, Peter uh, told the Jews that Jesus did pay the temple tax. <laughs> and Jesus said, you know, Peter, who, who, who do kings collect taxes from? Their sons or other people? Oh, well, other people. Okay. Who does the temple belong to? Uh, God. And like, who's his son? Me. But you know what? We're not going to offend these people. So we're going to pay tax. And here's how we're going to do it. You go and catch a fish. Oh, I've done that many times, Lord. I'll go catch a bunch of fish. We'll sell them. We'll pay the... No, you go catch a fish and look in its mouth and there'll be enough money in there to pay tax. What a great idea for paying taxes. (laughs) But it's not one that we would think of. And the craziest thing that's ever happened was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, hanging on the cross, dying for the sins of the world. To the natural mind, that was not a good idea. In fact, when Jesus shared it with his disciples, Peter pulled him aside and said, No, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus said, "Uh, Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking the thoughts of God. You're thinking the thoughts of man. He didn't say you're thinking the the thoughts of Satan. Thinking the thoughts of man rather than the thoughts of God. 
which is, I don't know what they were teaching on the retreat, but it sounds pretty good. But, uh, you know, when, when you're reading the Bible, uh, guess whose thoughts you're reading? God's. Whenever you're, in, whenever you're in worship, that's whenever you begin to really connect with God. Being in God's will, however, does not preclude struggles. A strong wind was blowing. The waters grew rough. All three gospel accounts include this fact. And somehow we've developed the notion that when you're really in God's will, when, you, when you're really in the center of his will, and especially if you're in the center of his will and you have enough faith, then everything is going to, to go great. That is not the way that it happens. I'm not quite sure how we got that, got that idea. How smooth. Was Noah in the middle of God's will in that ark? Yeah. How smoothly do you think it went to have eight people servicing a few thousand animals in an enclosed space for over a year? You know, animals, they get upset tummies too. And they have to eat and things like that go on. Oh, you could be right completely in the middle of God's will. And that doesn't mean that things will be, that doesn't mean that things will be easy or smooth. Paul and Silas were in God's will with bleeding backs in the jail chained to the wall. You know, we just got, we just got severely beaten and thrown into jail for doing good things for somebody. What should we do about this? Let's, let's sing worship songs. Yeah. And of course they did, and it caused an earthquake, and caused some people to get saved, and caused all kinds of things. Jailhouse rock, buddy. That's, uh, that's what was going on right there. Jesus was in the center of God's will, hanging on the cross. God's will does not cause struggle, but God's will and the, equips you, fits you to the calling that he's put on your life, fits you for the task. There have been any times that, uh, that I've really wanted to leave the ministry. And I mean, I'm in preacher heaven here. I really am because we've got great elders and great staff and wonderful people around. But there, there, and it's been a few years since I've gone, since I've really, you know, almost gone AWOL. But there have been, been a few times that I've really wanted to leave the ministry. And I thought, uh, you know, and, I, and people don't necessarily get it. I mean, they kind of go, well, you know. You got the greatest job in the world, man. You get to, you get you get paid to share Jesus, and you uh, you only work one and a half days a week, and you don't do that because you have the gate on Tuesday morning, and you and you uh, and people respect you and love you. Oh yeah, <laughs> not everybody respects you and loves you. <laughs> when you're in the ministry. Some people hate you because you're in the ministry and a lot of people feel like, you know, you get paid to share Jesus. You get paid to be holy. You get paid to do all the stuff that we don't want to do. You get paid to have the wonderful privilege of working with volunteers all the time. People that you can never say, all right, if you want that raise, you do that. You show up. When, you know, you get, you get paid to do all that stuff. And, you know, there are just times when I, I have felt like, God, there's got to be something else I can do. You, you put me, you get, 
Let, let me, I have talents, God. I do. You've given me skills. Let me go somewhere and work. I would be, I promise you, I will be a great church member somewhere. I will pay, a lot, I will pay tithes faithfully. I, I'll, be, I'll be the kind of church member that the pastor will go, oh, we're so glad. We're so glad you're here. Yes, Brother Ronnie. Yeah. God, let me out of this. But you know why I've never even gone looking? Because this is where he's told me to be. And when he tells you, when, when you know this is where he's told you to be, what you going to do? Toward the end of this chapter, uh, Jesus getting... <laughs> Speaking of high moments in the ministry, Jesus had just finished preaching to this group that he had fed the day before, the 5,000. They came and he preaches to them, and after they hear his sermon, they all leave and go, oh, We don't want any of that. And, you know, he had to be feeling pretty low at that point. And he even turned to the disciples and he went, Do you want to leave too? The 12, do you want to leave too? And Peter said, Where are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. Where, where, where do we go if we leave? And it's not just about the ministry. It's not just about vocational ministry. Before, uh, before I, I went into ministry uh, as, a, as a vocation, uh, I, I spent two years, three years working for the Nashville Public Library. I was a senior library assistant. And um, so I was one of the guardians of the repository of knowledge of the, of the whole world in, uh, in Davidson County. <laughs> That's the way I looked at it. And then, uh, and then for five years, I worked for the Social Security Administration. I helped the weak, the poor, the aged, and the infirm uh, to, get, to get their benefits. I mean, you know. And God, that was where God wanted me to be at that time. And as far as I was concerned, as long as he wanted me to be there, that's where I was. You know, there were things that I, that I hated about working for the... For, for, Social Security Administration. I hated. I, I hated a lot of that things about that job, but the reason. But I didn't go looking actually because this is this was the calling God had on my life. This is where He said be, and when you know that this is where God says be, then what you gonna do? Go find something better? I don't think so, because there's nothing better than being in the center of God's will. Jesus finally shows up, and when he shows up, things start popping, as they usually do. When the disciples first saw Jesus, they were afraid, <sighs> frightened, terrified, actually, is what the other, other uh, two Gospels say. You know, Springhouse feels like a family, because it is, and everybody who belongs to Christ and is part of the family of God. But as uh, our camp sort of leans toward the, uh, the daddy God, idea because over in Galatians and also in Romans it talks about the spirit being in us and, and, and causing us to cry Abba father and that's that that word Abba is a young child's expression of daddy and so uh, you, you know we we like we like to use that expression sometime and uh, there are other camps you know that that lean more toward the other side of God but that's the side that we tend to lean on and I used to love it back when my dad was still alive because he was definitely brought up in the other camp and uh, and every time that Wayne would every time that Wayne would say daddy God or this is this is, he's our daddy my dad would sit over there on the, on the right there on right there 
where, 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 uh, uh, where the cell is sitting right now. And he'd be going, no, he ain't daddy. He ain't daddy. Uh-uh, no, no, no. And I go, well, he is actually dad. But at the same time, I get what you're saying. But here's the thing. We, we sort of lean toward that side. But we sometimes tend to forget that daddy can also be terrifying. And in fact, he is. He's, he's, he's not just this sweet little God. When Isaiah saw him in the temple, he said, I am undone. Woe is me. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the Lord, the King of Israel. When Daniel, saw, when Daniel ran into, um, he didn't actually run into him, but, but when, when Daniel encountered uh, Gabriel, I mean, Gabriel was a messenger angel. Now, I'm not dissing Gabriel. I'm sure if he walked in, we'd all freak out. But at the same time, he, he wasn't like a warrior or a seraph or anything. He was a messenger angel. When, when Daniel encountered him, Daniel fell prostrate. He was not able to speak. He was not able to breathe. It took him seven days to recover after he had encountered him. Our, our God is an awesome and, and, and powerful God. And so uh, over in Revelation, when, when, when Christ returns, it says, then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains, and they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. This is literally going to happen. This is, this is literally what happens when God shows up the strange things begin to happen on the earth. If your idea of warm and fuzzy is, is, is 10.0 on the Richter scale and 150 foot tsunami, then you're a weird person. But God is able to, to cause those kinds of things to happen and, and will. In fact, over in Second Peter, it says this, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And some may go, well, you know, this is just, this is poetic language. This is just, this is just, um, it's not actually going to happen that way. Uh, uh, poetic language is used to describe something too big to describe. If it's poetic language, then it's going to be worse than this actually. But, you know, if you, if you actually take it as, if, you know, if you just say, well, it's just imagery, you know, and that makes you feel good, well, uh, you're not going to feel good very long. I mean, if, if, the, if the fact that Dr. So-and-so uh, opinion makes you feel better about this, that, you know, this is just imagery, then good luck with that. And there's no such thing as luck, so you can't have any good luck with that. The truth of the matter is, this is real, and I believe, I believe. I believe that, that the walls of Jericho did, in fact, actually begin to, to rumble and, and, and start crumbling down. I, I believe that the Lord did descend on Mount Sinai, and he descended on it in fire, and he descended on it in, in a trumpet blast that was so loud, and, and the fire was so, so hot that a million people in the, in the community of Israel shied away from it and said, we don't want to hear this anymore. We, we can't come close to this, this holy God. You speak to him for us, Moses. I, do, I believe that God 
caused the, the, the flow of the Jordan to stop and, and it to back up so that the, the land became dry and the children of Israel walked across on dry land. I believe that there was a strong east wind that parted the, the Red Sea and made, the, made there a dry path for the Israelites to cross over. And then when, when Pharaoh and his, his crew tried to go over, I believe that the waters came back on top of them and, and destroyed all of them. And speaking of, of, of Egypt, I believe that for 72 hours, there was a, a time in, in Egypt when the sun could not be seen and the moon could not be seen and the stars could not be seen and all of the power lines were down and everything was, was dark in the land. I believe that there was a night when the death angel of the Lord passed through the land of Egypt and every household did not have the blood of the lamb on its doorpost and lentils. The firstborn was killed. I, I believe that there was a time when Joshua spoke and the sun stood still over Gibeon and the moon stood still over the the valley of Ajalon and there was a day unlike any other day that's ever happened in the history of mankind in terms of how long that it's been I believe that Jesus Christ stood on the on the brow of a, on the brow the prow whatever boats have stood there and, and 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 spoke to a storm and said be still and the winds died down and, and, and the waves began to die down. I believe that when Jesus gave up his spirit on the cross, that the earth shook and the rocks split in two and, the, and the, the veil of the temple was rent in two and even graves were opened up at that time. And I know three days later his grave was opened up and he arose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And if I can believe that, then I don't have any trouble believing that someday the, the heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it is going to be opened up and filleted and laid bare before the eyes of God. And if you don't believe that, my daddy can whip your daddy. Let's get on to this Peter thing. I, I've got, uh, I'm, I'm obviously trying to compact some things here. Uh, Matthew tells us about Peter getting out the boat and walking on the water and going toward Jesus and taking his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink in the, in the, in the waters. Cried out to Jesus and Jesus rescued him. Kind of reminds me of the time I went water skiing. And usually when, uh, when people uh, preach about this particular passage, that's what they focus on. So, you know, Peter getting out of the boat and, you know, and sometimes they're praising Peter for the faith that he had. And sometimes they're slamming Peter for the lack of faith that he had. But pretty much always they're, they're, they're going, well, at least he got out of the boat. Instead of these other guys. But I want to look at it a little bit differently and ask you to consider whose idea was it for Peter to get out of the boat? I mean, it wasn't like Jesus was coming along going, hey guys, okay, now walking on water practice. Who's first? No. Uh -uh. Peter said, Lord, if that's you, then command me, tell me to come to you. And I don't know what Jesus, I mean, Jesus, you know, Jesus, maybe, maybe Jesus thought, Oh, yes, Peter, I knew you'd do it. That's a great yeah, boy. Come on. But he also may very well have been thinking, oh, again. All right. Yeah, let's do this. 
So Jesus now has two choices that Peter has sort of backed him into. He can either go, no, it's not me. Stay in the boat. (laughs) Or he can say, come. And so Peter gets out of the boat and he's coming. And he takes, you know, and he takes his eyes off Jesus, which is always a bad idea. Because whenever you start looking around at the circumstances going on around you, uh, sinking is what will happen. You know, and I wasn't kidding about my, my the time I went water skiing. Uh, I, I was, uh, I don't know how old I was, but I survived it. And, uh, and you know, they, they told me about, you know, getting up on the skis and can't, kind of keeping my knees bit and everything. And something happened. I don't know what it was, but we got out a little ways and the skis weren't attached to me anymore. And they neglected to inform me that when that happened, you're supposed to let go of the rope. I thought you need to stay close to the boat, right? Yeah. So I know how Peter felt as he was going under. And I know that prayer. Lord, save me. Beloved. Yeah. You're beloved. Uh, so, so Peter's walking out, and you know, and after Jesus saves him, where does he take him? Back to the boat. Now, here's, here's the thing. I'm not saying don't get out of the boat. Please hear me. Because uh, there are times that you need to get out of the boat. There, you know, if you feel like God is telling you to, to take a step of faith, buddy, you take it. Take it. God loves you. He's there. And if it's his idea, you're going to see something great. And if it's your idea, you're going to learn something. And your prayer life is going to be enriched. But don't slam the guys who are, who are, in, who are where God told them to be in the first place. You know, now if you're, if you're in, you know, God likes to get you out of your comfort zone. But I don't feel like the word comfort and boat should ever be in a sentence together. And don't tell me that these guys sitting in the boat in the middle of a storm on a big lake were comfortable. They weren't. You know, so they, they were dealing with it as well. Somehow or another, we have, we have lost sight of the fact that it does take great faith to endure and persevere day after day, week after week, in what God has called you to do and what he has put in your hands to do. You know, we, we, we begin to look at this one doing that and that one doing that and somebody else doing something other and, you know, and people are writing books about it and making movies about it and stuff. And all I'm doing is just sitting here in this boat straining at the oars. Well, praise God. If that's what he's called you to do, you are a, a good and faithful servant if you continue to do it. And no matter how the storm rages and whether you're out there walking on the water crying, save me, Jesus, or whether you're in the boat crying, save me, Jesus, he will. He will. He's there. I uh, had talked to to Corbin earlier in the week and uh, one of the, I really wanted him to share that that thing about his, uh, you know, being on the crutches and sharing with that woman and realizing that that was that was, why she, that was why she got saved. You know, apparently when we were talking earlier this week, you know, when she saw him hobbling up that hill, 
That, that really touched him. And he didn't necessarily, have, you know, he didn't, the, the, the gal who told him to do something about those warts on his feet, uh, actually her husband also was starting to get them. She said, y'all do something about that. And so they went to the doctor and had surgery. And then they came back and she went, what did you do? She said, I, I, I meant get some cream. They, they, they have stuff for that. You know, no. They're guys, you know. They, they, they went and got surgery, you know, and, uh, and they did give him a shot before they did the surgery. They just didn't wait for it to take. Uh, yeah. Oh. Struggles are there, but glory is there. Victory is there. Don was sharing with me while everybody was down here that, uh, you know, the harvest is ripe. And we're to pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth harvesters. But the Lord's saying, use what you've got. The harvest is where you are. Virtually every one of you work with people who don't know the Lord. Live next door to people who don't know the Lord. You don't have to travel 10,000 miles to find them. They are there. I'm out of time. Uh, We're going to go to the table of the Lord the worship team would come up if those who are moving the table would come over and this is going to be this is going to be the opportunity to receive whatever special grace you need today whatever special grace you need to trust him more today Uh, this is not the point in the service where we normally do this but that doesn't matter at all I'd like for you to to focus, get your heart in tune, and whatever you came needing today, whatever wisdom, whatever direction, whatever miracle, whatever you came needing, you're going to receive it through these elements and through the grace that God has for you. Go ahead. Let's sing.
Every sermon had to have a, uh, a point or three points at the most. And uh, if I didn't do that, then, you know, people would miss it or something. I don't know. And there's nothing wrong with a sermon having a point or three points. And every now and then I'll still try and do that. But over the years that I've learned, I don't want you to listen to me anyway. It's Him who's speaking to you. And if I'll just bring the Word, He'll say something to each one because 
He knows who you are. He knows why you're here. He knows what you went through this week. He knows what you've got to face this next week. He knows what to say to you. All you have to do is let him. And I feel like my job is to just teach us to walk humbly with God. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and blessed it. He broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. And so this is for you. And for whatever broken places there are in your life that need to be made whole. The body of Christ, the bread of heaven. took the cup he said this is the cup of the new covenant my blood just poured out for you for the sins that you have committed for the things that are going to happen this week where you're going to where you're going to fall short this is for you the blood of Christ the cup of salvation Two things. Normally we have people pass these down, but we'll let somebody serve. So go ahead and pass it to the end of the row like you normally do. And then after I give you a dismissal blessing, whoever's holding a bunch of cups, would you bring them down here? Serve those who, uh, everyone else on your row. And serve those who otherwise would have to go around and pick things up. Would you stand and lift your hand? Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent his Son into the world and called him to be our Savior, may his calling on your life become clear to you. May you have the courage, the faithfulness, and the obedience to fulfill it through the strength of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.